0: One of the things uh, we wanted to do before we send our kids out is our uh, the last school district that we serve uh, begins school tomorrow. Uh, and so what we wanted to do before we dismiss them uh, is take a moment uh, and invite the students to come up this way. Uh, invite, if you're a teacher or you're an administrator, uh, come on up there. You could do that, even if it's just you, bro. Uh, if you are a, a teacher or an administrator, we wanted to invite you up here. Uh, we wanted to take a moment and pray over uh, you guys as uh, as we start a brand new adventure. And Some of you guys are starting school for the first time. Some of you guys are starting a new school for the first time. Some of you guys are... Starting a new district for the first time, and and one of the things I, I wanted to say just to each and every one of you guys is that you have been invited this year into such an incredible adventure not not just with yourselves because that's all that's part of growing up but but that God has invited you into adventure and our prayers over you guys over the last couple months and into these next couple of months especially are to be that, that you would hear God's voice while you're away from your parents, uh, that that He would speak to you about what is best for you, about about the example He longs for you to set, about the people He longs for you to love on with His love, because you today have a very, very real and a very great responsibility to help those who are far from God find life in Jesus. and. So we wanted to pray for you guys and then um, and then you can sprint out of here as you usually do. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that that in in every season of our life, you are very near to us and that you love us. And Father, I lift up these students to you that that this year they would adventure with You and they would see You do great and mighty things through them. Father, I pray for the things that all of us parents pray for, that they would get good grades and that they would stay out of trouble. But more than that, Father, I pray that, that over these next few months that they would experience You in, in new and powerful ways. That they would be attentive to your voice. That they would listen for you to move and they would go where they hear you say to go. Father, I pray you would give them eyes to see other kids who don't know you. And that they would draw close to them so that they can draw closer to you. Father, we pray for any of their nerves today. As they get excited about new schools or new classmates, we pray that they would go to school on mission. And Father, we lift up our teachers to you. We lift up our administrators to you. We thank you that that here at Merge we have so, so many people committed to helping play an important role in the next generation we pray equally that they would adventure with You over these next couple of months while they are serving kids, while they are serving other teachers, while they are just serving their communities. Father, we pray for supernatural eyes to be opened, that they would see needs that nobody else sees. We pray that You would enlarge their hearts of compassion for kids who are struggling, for families that they come in contact with. I pray pray that that they would know how important they are in those roles. Father, we pray for our principals as they lead well. As they shine a light into their schools. We pray for pray for all of their strength. We pray for all of their wisdom. And Father, I pray that you would, as we lift emerge merge up to the incredible adventure you have us on here. So Father, we we give you this school year as if you didn't already have it. you to do incredible things. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Almond? Almond? Oh, almond. Almond, that thing got weird. Somebody needs to teach our kids how to pray at the end. they file out. I know some of you parents are excited. I've been wondering if my kid's ever going back to school. Uh, He was trying to convince me he didn't need it anymore. Um, He says, I'm already smarter than you, Dad. And I say, well, that's not saying much. So, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Matthew uh, chapter 21. Uh, Matthew 21, we are following Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew as As he makes his way to the cross during his final week, then while he's doing that, he's making some things very clear to us uh, to see while moving himself to the front of the stage. Uh, In just a couple months for us, and really every day for us, Jesus moves to the front of the stage for all eyes to see uh, as he sacrifices himself as a good shepherd uh, so that we can have a restored relationship with, with God the Father. And, and Jesus is being presented, and I think it's helpful for us to keep this in mind, Jesus is being presented in these chapters as our Savior King, uh, as the King who we have long awaited for. Uh, and He is in step with every page of the Bible. And we've been walking together to see this because as when we see Jesus as King, it changes everything. It changes everything about how we live a gospel-centered life. It changes how and why we live in a particular way. Uh, that when the world says, hey, you're not reacting uh, in, to this matter in the way that we all act, you say, yes, it is by the grace of God that I am different. Uh, and in our past three weeks have been surrounding really a judgment that Jesus is placing over the religious leaders of the Jewish church. Uh, in fact primarily Jesus confronts them by saying that the fruit that is coming out of their lives the, uh, is, is that it's not pleasing to God at all uh, because they're not serving God they're serving themselves and, and while they're masking it with some very religious action it says well you know we're doing all the right religious things and God says yeah but your heart is very far from me and, and the evidence of that is that it's not producing fruit. And ultimately, Jesus is warning them by reminding them that God won't be fooled. Uh, that, that he will not be mocked. That the empty religion is completely useless. That No matter how many church services you go to, no matter how many hours you serve in a nursery, uh, no matter how many bottles of water you serve on a hot uh, day, uh, if your heart doesn't belong to God and if your footsteps aren't following in His wake, uh, then you're missing the entire point of the gospel. And and so Jesus has been saying that, again, the largest indicator of if you are on the right path or not is just examining the fruit that is in your life, And this is when he curses the fig tree. He says, he says you, you have all the leaves, but you have none of the fruit. And so that caused us to ask the question, what kind of fruit does God want out of our lives? And we found some help in the book of Galatians, where it says that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that you are walking with God, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control that you will know you are growing in Christ. Not that when you have some of these fruits, but that this would be the kind of person that God is shaping you into becoming. And, and we said that uh, looking at the failures of the church leaders in Matthew 21 lets us ask ourselves whether or not those fruits are growing in our own lives. And, and again, that, that can be a really difficult task for some because we have to uh, own up to know that I am not walking in patience. Uh, I am not living in love. I am not living in joy. And and so what's happening in the following verses is Jesus is explaining first to them and then by, by product to us uh, is that they're not producing fruit in a godly manner. And and he's doing this by, by telling three parables. And uh, each parable will... Will represent or bring to the surface a rejection of the church leaders. Uh, last week we saw uh, in the parable of the two sons uh, that uh, they are rejecting the father because the father is sending Jesus. Uh, this week we're going to see that they are going to ultimately reject the son uh, in the fact that they are going to kill somebody. Uh, and then uh, next week we're going to see that that he is that they are ultimately rejecting the Holy Spirit, and and their rejection really, as, as difficult as it is, I mean, we are going through a pretty hard part to get to a really helpful point, uh, but their rejection helps us greatly when it comes to understanding who we are before Christ, because we will be exposed by that this morning, uh, that that how we can receive Christ, and then who we are uh, because of Christ. And so, let's pray, give that to God, and then let's, let's dive man, Father, we come to you. We are thankful for your word this morning. We thank you that, that we can lean heavily into it and we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that he would uh, speak to us, uh, for some tenderly and for some loudly. We pray that uh, the power of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus would be on display that we would respond accordingly. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so let's, let's remember the scene that we are arriving in because Jesus is just going to uh, where we've had a full week off. uh, Jesus will take a breath off and then he'll go into this next parable. Uh, Last week Jesus is teaching in the temple uh, and and the chief priests and the elders come in and they interrupt him with a question about the authority uh, through which he is operating under. They say, who who gave you this authority and whose authority are you working under? Uh, And and it was after Stumping them with a question If you'll remember Jesus says I'll answer your question But first you have to answer mine uh, John the Baptist Who was his baptism through? Uh, and, and he stumps them They end up saying I, I don't know uh, and, and, uh, and and he says oh, Well I'm not going to answer your question But then he tells them This parable To help them out He tells them the parable Of two sons And it's, it's a It's a father Who owns a vineyard And he looks at his sons And he tells the first one, hey, go to the vineyard, and the guy says, "Nope, not going to do it." And then eventually he does. Uh, then he tells the second son, "Go into the vineyard," and the other, the second son says, "Yes, sir, I'm going to go," but then he never actually goes anywhere. And and Jesus, this the question that Jesus brings up to them is, is who's actually doing the will of the Father, and uh, and his focus is really to draw out what is in the hearts. Other religious leaders. Anytime Jesus asks a question, he's trying to draw something out of you. He's trying to reveal it because by revealing it, we can deal with it. Okay. So anytime you're talking with God and and the Holy Spirit brings something to the surface, and you say no 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 no, I'm working hard to keep that packed away. Okay. There's a reason why they're bringing that up because they want you to deal with that issue because very clearly the Spirit is explaining to you. This must be dealt with Or you can't go anywhere else The relationship stops If you don't get past this point point. And so so Jesus is drawing this out And this confrontation is actually very loving uh, And it's a very merciful way Of Jesus revealing all that God has In store for us And it's with that, this in mind That Jesus teaches another parable And we'll pick this up uh, in verse 23 Matthew 21 verse 33 And he says this Hear another parable uh, because the first one went over so well. And it felt so good to the heart. Uh, he says, there was a master of a house who planted a vineyard. And he put a fence around it. And he dug a wine press in it. And he built a tower. And he leased it to tenants. And he went into another country. You with? So he built, his this master built this vineyard. Then he leases it and he says, I'm out. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get, and I need you to underline these words, this is really helpful, his fruit. Okay? So whose fruit is it? The masters. Right? The guy who built it. This is his fruit. They're just stewards of it. And the tenants took his servants and they beat one, they killed another, and they stoned another. Verse 36, again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, finally he sent, and you can underline these words, his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. Right? This is my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, let us have his inheritance. And they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Okay? Okay? A very uplifting moment, right? Like this is a parable that you say, Ah, oh, Jesus is just so good. Uh, and, and so, so, so here's, Jesus stays in the thought of the vineyard. In this parable, it draws um, some Old Testament inspiration. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the opening verses of Isaiah chapter 5 uh, really paints this exact picture. Uh, and what Jesus is doing for the Jewish people is he's reminding them of God's goodness to them as a nation. Uh, these men that Jesus is speaking to, they would have drawn a, this connection with Isaiah 5. Uh, and, and what's happening is Jesus is telling them, hey, God is good to you guys. Uh, that, that God's delivered you, and by Isaiah 5, it's this reference to God delivering them out of Egyptian bondage, out of Egyptian slavery, and he plants them in the Promised Land, which is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Okay, uh, and so he gave them in that land the material, and he gave them a very spiritual blessing, and he asked them to bear fruit for the glory of his name. Okay, now the history of the Israelites is this. Uh, these seasons of being very dedicated to God and being very far removed from God. Uh, and so they experience these seasons of God's blessing and then God's curse, where God says, I'm not going to bless that any longer because your hearts are far from me, from me. And here Jesus just says, hey, here's a very similar scene, that that there's a master, okay, and this master represents God, who plants a vineyard, leases it to the tenants, so he gives them land, and then the tenants are in the story. in case you're wondering. Uh, they're the religious leaders. Uh, and then when time came for the harvest of the fruit, uh, God sent his servants, and his servants represent the prophets. So all the way through the Old Testament, uh, when you get into some of the, the more difficult v- books, uh, these are the prophets, these people that God sends to warn or prophesy over the nation to tell them the heart of the Father. And so, uh, so they come to inspect the fruit, take the fruit. The, hostile, the tenants are hostile towards them to the point that they kill them. And this is what the Jewish people did to the prophets. Killed many of them. Uh, and eventually the master says, I'm going to send my son, for surely they will respect him. And the son in the story represents Jesus and the tenants, their greed and their jealousy erupt. And they say, hey, if we get rid of this one, we can take it all. If we get rid of this one, we can take at all. And it's a very it's a tragic scene with with revelation of what has happened with some foreshadowing of what is yet to come. Okay, because Jesus has pointed out already in the gospel that there will be a time that they come and they take me. Uh, there will be a time that the Son of Man will die uh, for the sins of the world. And and so what happens next though reminds us of the purpose of the parable. And we said this last week that the purpose of the parable is to teach a spiritual point. Uh, it's not just story time. Jesus isn't trying to waste their time uh, by explaining these things. Uh, and so, so watch what happens because it's, it's kind of like, you ever watch a movie and everybody that's watching the movie with you knows exactly what's about to happen when that person opens the door? And you're like, oh man, if they, knew, if they knew what waits on the other side of that door, they wouldn't open it. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you've ever screamed at a television to don't do that. Um, they never listen to you. Uh, but, but this is what's happening. They're going to respond in a way uh, that you're like, "Oh man, we we know what's coming, right? We know what's coming." So they say this in verse 40. So Jesus asked this question. Okay, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, so when the when the owner of the vineyard comes back, what will he do to those tenants? And really, the question is, what what should he do? Now, I love what Jesus says. What would you do? What would you do if you were the owner and this has happened to you? And I think it's a very fair question, especially when you live in the land of what goes around comes around, right? Uh, we mask that in, uh, in our world uh, with karma. We mask that with um, it's only fair. We have, and so, verse 41, they said to him, and I want you to pay attention to this, because Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and he will let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons oh he'll kill them he'll kill them why why do they say that? because that's what they believe they deserve right? they believe he's going to die and and this is what we get to experience in their response is is that their belief is, is in at least some version of justice Right? They know what is just. They know what is fair. These people have murdered people, so they deserve death. It's only fair. It's only fitting. And and they believe the tenants were not just wrong, but they call them wretches in their actions. And and there's a couple of times in the Bible this plays out, where uh, where Jesus or, or a prophet will reveal something, and people will get all up in arms you know uh well what they really deserve is and they're like hey this is about you and and what what we may know or at least we're putting together is is that they are about to be exposed as the wretches who deserve this miserable death we 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 know that in fact that's about to happen in a moment but but this week as I was reading as I was studying through this my, my mind went to this really old uh, hymn, a very famous one, right? That that uses a very similar word. "Amazing grace, how sweet the sound," that saved a what? Wretch, like who? Me. So they say those wretches, they deserve death. And I'm drawn very, very quickly to the heart of the Father. And I'm like. me. That's 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 me. I'm I'm the wretch. Not only am I representing the religious leader here, I'm representing the tenant who kills people. I represent their greed. I represent all of their hostility. I represent all of their jealousy. I represent that all. I, I am the wretch. And the good news for me is I don't have to live there. I don't have to stay there because the, the beautiful part of the hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. With You can't keep going until you're done. I was blind, but now I see. And so, and we're going to come back to this point because we're going to find that we wear these words in the same ways as the tenants. Uh, but but I want us to keep going in 42. Uh, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures? And that's always... It's just a prod. I love it. That's when he just kind of jabs them. Because these people, they memorize it. They pride themselves on knowing the words. And he's like, hey, have you never read in the scriptures? And they're like, oh, they're hurt. Uh, because their, their pride would, would grow. And he says this, that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So, so the image is this person, these men who are building a monument, or they're building a building, I should say. And they say, you they pick up stones. Like this is a good one. This is a bad one. And they take this stone and they look at it. They examine it. And they say, ah, that's we don't. We reject that one. We throw that one out. It should be dust. And He says that very stone has become the cornerstone. It's it's the stone on which the entire building finds its foundation. It's the strongest of all of the stones. And so he says that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. And this is a reference to Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. And by taking us back to it, Jesus reveals that God had planned all along the rejection of his son. And this wasn't just a new play, Uh, that, that God has sent His Son as the cornerstone who holds all things together. And beginning in verse 43, Jesus is going to explain the response of the actions of the tenants. He says this, Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone it will... Crush him, and this is what Jesus says. Here is the consequences of your of the actions of the religious leaders. Says God gave you a vineyard to care for, and you didn't. God told you to produce fruit, and you have it. Not only that, but when I've sent people in to bring out that fruit, you've killed them. You've murdered. And and he says, you, you failed to carry out the obligation of God in both your personal life and in your responsibility for leading the nation of Israel. Their privileged role in, for God's vineyard is now being taken away. And he says it's going to be given to a people who will actually produce fruit. Now the good news for us is that that, includes, that, that puts us into the part of the equation. Because what we're going to find is the gospel is going to go to the Jew first, but then to the Gentile. And he says, these are the people. I'm going to create a new people consisting of both the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm going to gather out of many nations a people who will live for the glory of my name uh, and for the renown of my name. And so verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, okay, as they've heard it, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And I I would imagine that there was a moment when some guy's like, I think he's talking about us. And the guy's like, yeah, idiot, I think you're right. So, so it says this, and although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds, because the crowds are for Jesus. They held him to be a prophet, which he is. He's a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king. He's the greatest of all those three is the greatest prophet, is the greatest priest, is the greatest king. If you're looking for some um, theology around that concept, go to the book of Hebrews because uh, it paints Jesus in some incredibly beautiful ways. Uh, and so, so, so this, is where this is what dawns on me is that we've spent a, long, a lot of our portion here this morning talking about the chief priests and the elders and their failures. right? And you look at yourself and you're like, well, I'm not a chief priest. Uh, I'm not an elder. I'm not even a Jewish person. Uh, so what does any of that have to do with me? Right? Because ultimately that's what we want to know. How can, how can I benefit from, from these words? And, and I think uh, if we're honest, this actually says a great deal about us since we aren't that different from the actions of the religious leaders. That their failure is, a, is our failure apart from Christ. What they are doing currently in Matthew 21 is very much what we do consistently apart from Christ. This parable says some great things about the gospel. And, and now as I say that, I think there's a trap we fall into when we think about the gospel. That that we think of the gospel as this, this thing that saves us from our past and we think of it as this thing that saves us towards our future, and we fail to realize that the working of the gospel in your life covers your every moment and your every breath in between those two things. It saves you from your past, it holds you till your future, and it sustains you each and every breath that you take. And, And so if you are found in Christ, the tenant's story was your story before Jesus changed everything. And if you aren't found in Christ yet, the tenant's story is your story. It's, it's your story, and so so this is what we're going to ask: What does the failure of the tenants reveal about me? Have you ever have you ever seen somebody in your life, and and they maybe they have a, a large moral failure or professional failure, and you say, I need to remember that because that's not a good thing to do. I'm going to use their story as an example to keep me on a better path, uh, and this is this is all we're going to ask. What was what does their failure reveal about us? And the first thing is this: that it reveals who I am before Christ. Before Christ. And I want to say a lot of a lot of what we're going to share here, you're going to be like, I know that, I I, I know that. That number one, what who am I before Christ? I am a sinner separated from God. I'm a sinner separated from God. Romans 3.23 puts it this way, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. And you say, well, when did that happen? You're know, like, from birth. You were born into a sinful nature. Uh, in fact, Tim, Tim Keller says this, that, that every human being this is, this is the consequence of our sinful nature That every human being Must live for something Something Must capture our imaginations Our hearts Our most fundamental allegiance And our hope And we, we know that to be true That we want to stand For something And what's, what's tragic Are the really idiotic and moronic things That we tend to stand for uh, apart from Christ. Right? The the, the the very immature and very short-sighted allegiances that we place that really will bring us no return. Ever. Telling you this. That moment when the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, right? That there are people desperately praying for. That moment when they win it, that's a very fleeting joy. But yet our identity gets wrapped up in... What a dumb thing, but, but a really immature thing. Our identity gets wrapped up in maybe even some, some better things, different titles, different roles. I'm a, I'm a teacher. Yes, that, that's, that's what you do. That's not who you are. I'm a administrator. I'm a manager. I'm an owner. No, no, no. Those are things that you do. They're not who you are. And this is the beauty of the Gospel. is It says who you are apart from Christ is very far and very distant from God. That, that, that you want to live for something and so you will try to go find whatever that something is. Something that will capture your imagination and draw your heart into it. And He's... he's uh, sorry, Tim Keller continues and he says, but the Bible tells us that without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, that object will never be God himself. And this is one of the most beautiful aspects of the Gospel. Is that you will never say, ah, I need God. No. That, That the moment you recognize that need, it has been placed there because God has placed it in your heart first. He has wooed you first. The second thing is that not only are you a sinner who is separated from God, that you are a sinner who is hostile toward God. Hostile. And you're like, man, this guy's making me feel good indeed. You're a sinner who is hostile toward God. Romans chapter five, verse ten. For for if we, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So he says that we were enemies. In fact, um, there's some other places. It says, while we were yet hostile toward God, he rescues us in Christ. And, and, I, and I read this quote. I can't pronounce the guy's name. Um, and if you can, good for you. Um, but his first name's Tulian. We'll just say that. He says this. You and I will never know Christ to be a great Savior unless we first understand ourselves to be great sinners he says we'll never really uh, feel deliverance if we don't first feel desperation we'll never experience the glory of real freedom if we don't first experience the grief of our own slavery because because you never walk up to God, you never walk up to Jesus and say hey I'm going to do you guys a favor, I'm going to join the team they never say, like, oh, thank goodness. They never do that. It so says that you are hostile toward God. Verse uh, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to them, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except uh, through me. Actually, I'm going to save that because we're going to come back to that one. Number two. Number two. My question is this How can I receive Christ? how can I receive Christ? And some of you are like, well, I've already done that. Next. Hold on. Tap the brakes. How can I receive Christ? And this is what we know. By faith, through confession, and repentance. We receive Christ by faith, through confession, and repentance. Now, do I have to continually confess my sins? It's good for the soul. Do I lose my salvation? No, because you are secured in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit as a deposit. Do I consistently repent from my temptations to sin? Absolutely. Always. When you say, I'm dealing with sin, you repent. That's always the right choice. In fact, Julian says this, we desperately need an advocate, Uh, we need a a mediator, we need a friend, but what we need most is a substitute, someone who has done for us and secured for us what we can never do and secure for ourselves. And this is what Jesus comes in and says. He says, you guys need a right way to the Father. I am the way. In fact, right? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us, from all unrighteousness. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this isn't on your own doing. Uh, it's, it's the gift of God. And then maybe my favorite one this week. Uh, Titus chapter 3 verse 4 and 6. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us saved us not because of our works done by his righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of the regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out richly on us through Jesus our Savior and then number three here's the question who am I because of Christ who, who was I before Christ I was I was an enemy of God I was separated from the Father. Well, how do I come to know Christ? Through confession, uh, through faith, confession, repentance. And then, now the question is, who am I because of Christ? And there are a lot of places we can go for that. The Bible describes you in some incredible ways. And, and my prayer for our church is that we would constantly remember who we are in Christ. Not who we are, not, not who we are in any small story that we want to create. Not, not who we are in, in our weakest of moments. Not who we are in our greatest of moments. But who we are in Christ. Because who we are in Christ changes everything about who we are. In fact, the Bible says it in a lot of ways. I'm just going to give you a couple because I, I know you have things you'd like to get done today. Okay, So the first thing that we're going to see is that we are a new creation we are a new creation second Corinthians uh, chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 therefore if anyone is in Christ anyone so who does that include anyone he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come and all this all of this this is my favorite this is my favorite part of second Corinthians all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. And He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What great news for you and me. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, just be reconciled to God. Number two, so not only am I a new creation, I am gifted for a greater purpose. I think it's one of the greatest realizations or revelations that Paul has in the the book of Galatians. He says this way, I've been crucified with Christ. So when Christ died, that was the death of me. I says, "It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave Himself up for me. That everything about my life, and this is it, this is the trick. This is the trap, I should say, that we fall into because everything about our life that becomes other than Jesus is a compartment that should no longer exist. You're like, but I want to be good at, and I'm, that's great, be good at whatever that is, for the glory of Christ. I want to be a good husband. Do so for the glory of Jesus. Not because it makes your wife love you more. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good mother. I want to be a good son, daughter, teacher. I want to be a good... Whatever it is. Whatever it is you said, I want to be a good friend. Do all of that for the glory of Christ. So that when people see the fruits that being produced, they say, That is not you. That is the work of God in you. And you can do that very well and the moment that becomes about Jesus and then there's also this pet project of mine needs to be thrown away not only thrown away it needs to be burned up because you died in Christ it's no longer you who live so you've been given a greater purpose what an incredible purpose I mean that, for the glory of God alone that, that's the purpose and when you compare that to all these other purposes that we try to want to spend time investing in, they pale in comparison. And number three, we've been, we've been set free. We've been set free. For freedom, in Galatians 5 says this For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You're free. You've been you've been set free and what Paul is painting this picture of he says there's, there's a new self and an old self and he says he says why in the world if you've been set free and I always for some reason my mind he would say you have to change your clothes he says a free person doesn't put on their slave clothes and so he's like he's like if you have been set free from what some of you people wore in the 80's why would you ever return to that? Right? Why would you do that? Because you look foolish. Because you've been set free from that. Lastly, we are we're a child of God. We are a child of God. John chapter 1, it opens. It opens with this beautiful, like, just a megaphone painting the picture of Jesus. He says, "All who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God." Now, what did we say? Who are we before Christ? Enemies of God, very disconnected from him. There is no way to get to the heart of the Father. But because of Christ, we have been. We have, he has given us the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God and then Ephesians, Galatians um, Philippians, all of it paints this beautiful picture about the inheritance that we receive as, as children of God we can start wrapping this up so this is kind of where we fall it's difficult to see yourselves in the characters who are clearly on the wrong end of the argument in the Bible right like, like, you, like you always want to root for the guy on Netflix who's the hero uh, or, or maybe they are struggling but you, you're looking for uh, some, some redeemable quality in them so you can celebrate them or identify with them Right? so so it's hard anytime we read the Bible and we see the chief priests and the Pharisees or or we see the Sadducees or we see the elders of the church and we see people being taken advantage of and it's the the fault and it's difficult to see us as them because we don't want to see us like that because what we, what we want to see is ourselves in the best light possible, or even we have this desire to please God with our lives, and so when we get exposed, it becomes very uncomfortable. And we want to build defenses, we want to make excuses, we want to dig in our heels, and but but this will never, hear me when I say this, this will never help us get to anywhere helpful. So this morning, if you're exposed as a tenant... If you're exposed as a chief priest, if you're exposed as an elder, it's not going to help you to go before God and say, well, here's my excuse. Here's my reason for that. He already knows all of that. And it's not helpful. And the reason is that, that, that each and every one of us must come to the end of ourselves before we can understand our great need Jesus. And so this is what my prayer has been for us this week is that as we would identify with the tenants, that we would very quickly come to the end of ourselves. And any defense we want to build, we say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm exposed, and in that exposure, I'm still accepted. And I think when we understand our great need for Jesus, we begin to see Him very clearly. And I want to close with this, this place in Colossians chapter 1. And if you if you know much about the New Testament and the letters that Paul writes, uh, he, he kind of softly brings himself into the, the story. Hey, guys, it's, it's me, Paul. What's up? Not much here. You know, that's that's what he does. He says, this is Paul. I'm writing to the church of uh, Colossae and... You know, in the spirit of God, I just you know, and so he's real softly, but he gets going and he starts to talk about Jesus, and all of a sudden he erupts into worship, and his heart is drawn toward the sweetness of Christ, and, and he says these things. He says, "He, he is the in, image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, for by him." all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Oh, that's a a line. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, to reconcile Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you... So he talks about Jesus. And it's it's like, He's like, you need to know this about him because my heart leaps for joy and he says this he goes in you who were once alienated and you were once hostile in mind doing evil deeds he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. It's Jesus, the same Jesus who everything is held together by. It's the same one who's reconciled you. So this doesn't become about, oh, well, what can Jesus do for me? Uh, what, What will Jesus hold me until? What does Jesus do right now if you're in Christ? He holds you and reconciles you to the Father. He does that. And my prayer is that that would stir you. That the love of Christ would compel you. That you would understand that you are not your own. And if you were, if you are a tenant today, that you would know that you don't have to live there. You don't have to remain stuck in your slavery, in your bondage anymore. If you are in Christ, you are something completely new. And our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Okay, Now I'm going say that all the time. Okay? Some of you teachers are going to have a rough week. Some of you parents are going to have a rough week with teachers who are having a rough week. Okay? Our desire this week is to love God by. Please stand with me. That's a good reminder. I'm just warning you. Just warning you. As we wrap up, if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. If you want to ask Jesus in your heart, we want to celebrate with you. If you want to stop and thank Jesus through communion, we have those elements available to you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we are just so, we are so thankful, so blown away by your goodness. And we pray that you would help us understand more and more who we are in you how strong we are in You, how capable we are in You, how loved we are in You. We thank You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.